Hello, and welcome to the Freightvine podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at Chainalytics. And today, I'll be joined by Gary Girardi, Global EVP of Transportation Consulting and Products at Chainalytics. Gary's had a long career in supply chain and transportation, uh, ranging from railroads to software to consulting and everything in between, so he has a lot of interesting things to say. But first, let's turn to Dr. Enam Yub, Director of the Freight Market Intelligence Consortium for a Truckload Market Update. Welcome to the Chainalytics Over the Road Truckload Market Update. When assessing the state of the market, we will categorize rates into four different types. Active, new, replaced, and spot. Active rates are those contract rates that are regularly used in the routing guides. New contract rates are the rates entering the routing guide for the first time. Replaced are those contract rates that are no longer being used and were replaced by other newer rates. Spot rates are the one-off rates from spot moves. Each of these types can provide a different and critical perspective on the truckload over the road market. Since this is our first market update, we will cover changes from January 2019 to current, which is July 2019. But future updates will mainly focus on current month. Let's start with dry van. Active rates have been mostly flat year-to-date. We are, however, seeing a slight upward tick, 1-2% to 2% since May. New rates entering the market dropped 7% from January to May. We have seen a 3-4% to 4% increase in last two months. Overall, drive and spot market dropped 11% from January to May. We are seeing a 4% increase in the last two months. Let's shift to temp control. Active rates dropped 1% since the beginning of the year. New rates entering the market dropped 5% year-to-date. Overall, temp control spot market dropped 12% from January to May. However, we are seeing a 3% increase in the last two months. Let's look at inner modal. Active rates increased 3% from January to June. We are seeing a 1% drop in July. New rates entering the market dropped 2% since January, and overall in a modal spot market dropped 4% since January. Historically, we have seen dry van and temp control rates increase in June and July timeframe. We will be closely monitoring the market to see if this trend shift is due to regular seasonality or a true shift in trend. To conclude with, Let's look at how the current new contract rates compare to the rates being replaced. New contract rates entering the routing guide were 1% lower than the rates being replaced for dry van and temp control. And at equilibrium for inner modal. And that is the chainalytic state of the market as of 31st of July, 2019. Hello, I'm back here with Gary Girardi, who's currently the global EVP for transportation consulting and products at Chainalytics. And now, Gary, that's a big title. What does that role entail? Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, 
I've been with Chainalytics since near the beginning, 15 years ago, and I take care of all things transportation, both the consulting side of the house as well as the uh, freight market intelligence side globally. Uh, I was started here in the United States, of course, and then went over to work in the European office for about two or three years to get a little exposure over there. Uh, and thankfully, transportation is universally the same worldwide, so it made it fairly simple. Uh, and that's kind of what I do, just take care of the transportation activities of our clients. You know, you know, it's funny you said 15 years. It's actually been almost exactly 16 because I remember going to a Bertucci's restaurant and meeting you for the first time, <laughs> yes, trying I to do. convince you to come to Chainalytics. I know. You remember I, that? I, Out by I Alewife. That. I remember that. I remember that well. Uh, I yeah. knew you. I knew you before that, but not well. But so that yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, we were uh, competitors because prior to this, um, you were at uh, you know ITLS and then I two in the heyday of uh, of that that stuff. So what was it like then when you know transportation? We've been in it for so long, but at that time, applying optimization to transportation was kind of new. Yeah, it was it was very new. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of us thought we were going to take this centuries old industry and just rock it. Um, didn't quite happen that way. Uh, still guys sitting behind wheels of trucks, which is what the, what the essence of it is, but it was, uh, things have, you know, things have changed a fair amount, I guess, but they've also stayed the same. Um, for me, the underlying economics of transportation and, and, uh, you know, what's got to get done is the same. Uh, the trucking community is the same. The, 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 the buying and selling is pretty same. What's really changed is the, A, the level of technical capability of the people involved in the process, right. as well as kind of visibility and centralization. I don't even remember, like when we were first doing bidding tools and TMS systems, it was a, it was a mind blower to a lot of companies that they're like, so we're going to put all the transportation in one place, like just right. one place. Right. You know? Because they're like, right now, every factory does it. No, no, no the, whole, the whole thing is all going to be in one group. And that was mind-blowing yeah. to a lot of companies back then. Nowadays, that's by far the standard, right? I mean, yeah, transportation used to be for a retailer, um, from my DC to my stores. And then suddenly, yes. whoa, someone else is handling the inbound to my DCs from the vendors. That, that's inbound. I deal with outbound. Right. At the manufacturer, it used to be who owns transportation? The plant manager, right? The plant operations. Right. It was Because it was considered a... An, uh, an extension of the transfer, uh, the manufacturing process. So that was, yeah. But back back in the the '90s, it was actually hard. To, let's say you right. even got people to put their network together to even show it. The, the technology, the data capability, just wasn't. Yeah, there. you remember going in doing those early bids, and you'd say, "Give me, you know, we're looking for. Give me like all your, you know, one year of your transactional transportation history." That was like fifty phone calls, right? <laughs> Trying to pull that together. Right. right. Uh, that was not like today. It's almost you know yeah whatever they can do it pretty quickly right now so that's that's a huge change the the ability for companies to get a handle on what they're spending who they're spending it with when it's happening where it's going all that's fundamentally different at the end of the day the transportation's the same of course yeah trucks a truck although you know what's funny is i remember when we first doing business in the mid mid to late 90s people would have to go to their home computer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to load things up because yeah. they they generally had a better computing technology than they did at work, especially the right. carriers. And then, remember they used to, uh, the first question uh, always on the bid was, how do I print this out? Right? You know, <laughs> so you, you, you do the whole right. lane design right. inside the system and you'd be like, yeah, and you can dump it to an Excel spreadsheet and the guy would be like, okay, and then I can print it out. And you're like, 
Yes, you exactly. could. You could, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I submit a paper bid? Yes. <laughs> yes. We used, yeah. to, used to take them all the time. It was not uncommon. Yeah, the technology has definitely changed. I remember when we were hitting it in the 90s, optimization was the, mm-hmm. the cool thing, and we're going to displace everyone. Mm-hmm. Then it was the internet, mm-hmm. you know, lights out, yeah. marketplace, and then digital freight matching. Suddenly, yeah. there are no humans involved. And every time, the reality doesn't live up to the hype. Yeah, I think one of the fundamental realities of transportation that on the technical side, we always try to assume away is transportation is the ultimate buffer in the supply chain. There's all kinds of things that don't go to plan. And when you think about an organization, manufacturer, retailer, they just sort of dump it to transportation, say, well, you know, I know we were going to make 20 trucks a day, but actually we made 57 today. So just, just ship them, right? Yeah, just deal with it. How hard can it be? But that amount of variability that they see and the lateness of that variability is such that they're really, you know, it's almost impossible to go lights out. That's that's something you run into again and again and again. Remember, Chris used to do the bids and be like, yeah, you do the final optimization and then you just like dump it into the TMS system. It's done. There's yeah. no negotiation required. Yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is, you know, for transportation, we know it's going to be all this dramatic change throughout the year. And yet we still do an annual bid and we think, okay, here's what's exactly going to happen. So yeah, it, I think there's been a yeah. more recognition recently that, yeah, do you want to have the perfect plan or do you want to be more flexible and willing to you know, react because right. things will change over the year? The more and more I talk to people that like, they're more savvy about the bid and how the bid process works and really they understand, right. look, we're doing this primarily for budget visibility and security. We know it's not right. right. We know it's not going to hold up. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our research shows that most bids within six months, 50% of it's gone, right? It, like, it just yeah, it evaporates all over the place. Um, right. Uh, but you, as a business, you can't just say to your CFO, hey, you know, uh, you know, when he says, what's the transportation budget next year? You're like, ah, I don't know. So we'll see how it goes. Right? Yeah. You can't do You got to give him something. You can give that answer once. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Then you got to brush up your resume. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, so, so the technology has changed. What about the people coming into the industry, whether it's at the carrier side and the shipper side, have you seen a change in the types of people, the skills that are coming into this field? I think so. Yeah. You know, when, when I first started in the transportation industry, which would have been in the, in the, in the late eighties, you know, most of the transport, there was no, there weren't really logistics degrees. You didn't really take it. It was out of the civil engineering department. Right? right. And it was a kind of a minor. And, you know, I, it, funny, I came out of civil engineering and I had a choice. I did an operations sort of thing and had a choice of do I build the bridges or work on the things running on the bridges? Because there really wasn't much of a distinction there. Right. And I right. think nowadays the people are much, much more computer savvy. This is a career. Right. This is not a, hey, I'll just do it. Yeah, so, you know, you see a lot more people that they got into the industry one way or the other. And, and, and this is what they do for a living. And, it's not just because they fell in it. They thought about it and they're quite, quite, you know, it's a, it's a career. Yeah. People of our age, it, the, the career didn't exist. So we kind of came in horizontally. Right. I, I was a civil engineer as well. And I had the same thing. I didn't want to build it because that, that I'd have to work for the government. I didn't want to do that. Christ, the thing but failed. Rather, it was a nightmare. I don't want to deal with that. Real, Forget it. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. But you're right now. There are so many undergraduate yes. supply chain degrees out there. It's, it's shocking. It is. It is. And it's great. And it's great. And the people coming up that we work with, of course, we hire a lot of young people coming out of these programs in Chainalytics, much, much more data savvy. The, uh, the job requirement 
has changed, mm-hmm. right? You could be just a really good operational yeah. guy exactly. and you'd be fine, but now you need to have that data savvy. So we we did a roundtable up here at MIT and we asked the question, uh, would you rather teach data science to uh, an established logistician or transportation expert, or would you rather teach logistics and transportation to a data scientist, mm-hmm. right? Which is the skill that's e- more easily taught through experience and universally, they said, you know, give me the data scientist, I'll teach him about trucks, uh, rather than the other way around. That's exactly the process we do at Chainalytics. So you've been in consulting in various forms, whether in software or here at Chainalytics or other places previously, for dozens of companies, if not hundreds, over the years. So when you step into a company and talk to it, what are the first three things you look for uh, when you get introduced to a supply chain group? What are, what are the big marks for you? Let me, let me take it from two sides. There's the quantitative and the qualitative, okay. right? So on the quantitative side, the first things I look at are how much do they spend, how many carriers do they have, and what's their position to FMIC, right? So those three things help me understand what their problem is and how good they are at addressing it. On the qualitative side, the first thing I kind of look at is uh, who's running the show? Uh, you find that at most companies, there are two drivers, maybe a third sometimes. It's either driven by procurement or driven by operations. And you know that you, you can get a sense quickly about who's, who's, who's got more power. Occasionally, it's run by manufacturing, but those days, are, those days have changed. Uh, and that tells you a lot about their approach. And then, then I start looking for what kind of processes do you have in place and what kind of technology you got, right? That, that gives, with those, that bits of information, you can get a pretty good rounded picture about where the fruit's going to lie if there is, is there is opportunity. So interesting. What about whether it's a centralized or decentralized it's operation? Does funny. that have Yeah, it does, bearing? but I don't see decentralized anymore. This is earlier to our earlier conversation. 10 years ago, I would have said that. But nowadays, I almost just assume it's centralized. Right, you just see it so infrequently. Yeah, procurement, Any, procurement anyway. for sure. Operations okay. can be decentralized, yeah. but even yeah. then, when it says it's decentralized, right. it's actually not. It's actually centralized, but just your uh, geography of scope is maybe central. You know, but there's right. still right. like one group with rotating people, and you know, one head and that kind of stuff. Right. But I've seen somewhere it depends if the company's grown through yes. acquisition, and sometimes you know they've got seventeen SAP instances, and you know they might three different TMSs. That seems to be something that uh, that that will then might have differences into how how they operate. I don't know. We do a lot. We do a lot of work at Chainalytics for private equity firms that are buying companies, right? And the first the first synergy they try and attack is the transportation. Makes side. sense, and it's, it makes sense because to reorganize and save on that side does not require you to literally change your operations because because most transportation is outsourced to a carrier, right? So it's right. changing contracts. It's not getting rid of people. But so uh yeah, if that if that sort of a situation exists, the PE firms pretty quickly attack it. So yeah, you know, we don't it's uh, you're right. Used to be that was a big deal. You just don't see it much anymore. Right. Right. So when when you go into these companies and you're trying to, you know, introduce a new way of doing something, right? Because that's mm-hmm. why else would they invite yeah. you in there? What's the biggest hurdle from that you've seen from a company adopting a strategy or an approach yeah. that you recommend? You know, I guess the biggest one is change management, right? Just 
just getting people to do something different that is going to make their life likely more complicated, right? Um, that tends to be why you get hired a lot of times. A lot of times, the executives know what they need to have done. They just they just need some side outside force to push it through, right? So yeah. you see a lot of that. That's that's common. The thing that really holds it up is technology. So we will we will go into companies and say, hey, you know, you need you you are you're missing opportunity all over the place, but you don't have any. You don't have a your system that you've implemented your TMS, whether you picked a bad one or don't have one or is an old one. You just can't get it, so you have to replace that. That can be a big number, right? And that can be costly and and complicated. So, right, that's the number one hard hard stop is when people say, you know, I can't I can't drop the half a million dollars to replace right. this system. But well, that's a big change now too with the TMS because yes. most everything has gone to cloud. Have you? Done any yeah. recent implementations that is uh, not cloud based? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. The, the the well, okay. If you deploy Oracle as a cloud, right? Did you really change anything? No, not from a transportation side. It's just that's a that's an IT problem, right? right? The true change, like, and that that really doesn't affect transportation at all. That's just the IT side decided to put it on their side of the firewall instead of ours. Right, right, right. But. The, what's come up that is really fundamentally different is uh, almost on-demand systems, right? Systems where y- you pay by the transaction. Sure. Those those are really, really effective for companies under $100 million in spend. You get over $100 million, it just doesn't, the transactional fee just outweighs the, you're big enough, you're like, I'm not going to pay a transactional fee, I'll just pay for the thing. Yeah, that makes sense, but... You couldn't do that transactional, no, or, you know, no. by the ship without the cloud. So it's absolutely, almost, absolutely, yeah. you're right. That's been a yeah. fundamental change to the TMS side. You know, as I the agree. companies have come up, um, it's really opened up. It's opened up the ability for smaller companies to get access to quality technology. Yes, it used to be you get above, you had to get above 100 million before you could really justify making it crossing that, you know, paying that money. Right. money. You've got to be at least this high to join this ride. Yeah. Yeah, but the the uh, technology has changed dramatically, right? Because we we talked about you know optimization and those kind of things, the the uh, prescriptive techniques, but now we're more into intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so, how how do you see the key differences there? Because like FMIC, we're not telling you what to do; it's not um, prescribing; it's giving you more information so you can make decisions. So, how do you differentiate the intelligence offerings versus the optimization offerings? Because you cover both. Yeah, uh, optimization is to me um, sort of a a set answer, right? It's a by definition, an optimization is is an optimal answer. It's it's not necessarily opt, it's not actually implementable. It's just the optimal answer, right? And it it's almost like a uh, an input, right? You could say here's your optimi- opt- your optimized answer. Intelligence is providing the ability to answer questions as you go along. So that's the combination of what we said earlier, the technical capabilities of people in industries is much higher. So they are very comfortable of looking at a Tableau screen and saying, huh, why is that, why is that bubble over there? And then clicking down and going into it. That to me is intelligence. That's, that's sending out a signal that says something's here. Now correlate it with some other things to help them understand what should they do now. Right. 
Yeah. But but you raised an interesting point because there's always this trade-off, right? Um, I give someone all this information and I say, find it, right? right? Everything's there. Or, and that's, or do I push and say, you know what? I prioritize. Here are the six things you should look at. And I think that's something right. that every software vendor, every provider of information is challenged with because you don't know yeah. which extreme you want to go to. Because you and it's a it's a tough mix because you get you get uh, some providers like like Tableau would say, well, we provide intelligence. Well, you actually just provide a blank slate on which to build intelligence. It's a very right. valuable tool, but if you open, you know you use Tableau, what they call business intelligence tools. But if you open them, there's nothing there. It's just blank, right? So it's the it's way too much freedom. Then you go to the other side, which is here's a workflow, and this will tell you exactly what to do, but it might not apply to your problem. So what's really cool about the today's environment is uh, we have access to enormous amounts of data. We have access to de- visualization tools that can help people see things quicker, and we have access to, you know, the things we're building around Intel, you know, machine learning and, and AI around trying to predict right. things. And truly, intelligence comes from kind of bringing those together to say, if I look across all of this. I believe this is the right, you know, this is where the action item lies. Uh, I still believe there's a, a fair amount of company specific interaction where somebody at the company who really knows the business has to say, right. Yeah, I get it. Because yeah. it's, it's hard for any, anybody like FMIC as a general to say, Hey, we're going to tell all of our 200 members, what's the right thing to do. It's really hard because they're very different, you know? So. Right, right. And the, yeah, so when we forecast what the market's going to do, the next step is to let the company know what, what's it going to do to them. Because right. if you predict what the market does, right. you know, it's an average. So half the market's going to behave above that, right. the other half's going to be below it. So, yeah. But let me ask a, a follow-on question to what you were talking, because you're kind of just, you know, transportation has changed. So what do you feel are the biggest misunderstandings about the transportation industry or within the industries, especially as it interfaces with senior management? Well, I guess the number one thing that I think is still there is that um, there is a classic procurement training that says, if I buy more from a single vendor, my unit price for whatever I'm buying should go down or should, will be yeah, the economies of scale. Economies of scale. Yep. And there's also a, an, an, there's also a procurement theory that says, if I understand my vendor's underlying cost, I can negotiate towards the cost. The problem is, and this is where people get a misunderstanding, the transportation market is a very fluid and dynamic environment where those two rules really don't apply. That's the the number one misunderstanding I come up against. So just the other day, I had somebody say, you know, what I I really don't want to know what the rate is. I want to know what the carrier's cost is. Okay. I can tell you- So with the carrier. (laughs) But also, I said, I can tell you what the cost is for doing your specific activity. But that would imply that the carrier is just has no cost to get to you and no cost to get away from you. Right. And that's not true. That's not the way it works. They, they have enormous amounts of cost and, and, and network effect. And that's really, you. I don't know how to cost that out. That's really hard. Well, we try to do it in FMIC. That's what we kind of do. Yeah. But- yeah, we look at so we capture the yes. uh, the average long run marginal yes. cost of starting in Ohio or leaving right. uh, Miami, Florida. Yes. But that yes. said, we 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 infer it from the rates, so it's not truly their cost, right? It's their pricing. So, which is important, which is what you want to know. 
right? So sure. I would say sure. those, I think, okay. on the procurement side, on the operations side, um, I think the one that drives me nuts the most is that uh, I think people somehow dehumanize the driver a bit. They just feel like they'll do anything, right? And that's that's not right. fair. These are people who are, these are millions of people who, who do in the economy and the country an enormous service. And they're human beings. And, you know, you can't have a location where you have 200 trucks a day with one porta pot. Like, you know, give these people some respect, right? Yeah, I think the latest, uh, you know, the 2017 to 2018 capacity crisis made, you know, being so. uh, driver friendly yes. or carrier friendly became in vogue yes. again. Um, and so I think there might be some changes underway, but you, you just don't know how long lasting they're going to be because the market's already yeah. turned, and right? It's already getting soft. It, it is. Again. And yeah, but, I, uh, and yeah, it, it, it uh, yeah, right. You're right. So those would be the, the, the other thing that's really interesting is uh, always fun to talk about is, you know, vehicle automation um, and, you know, when it's going to come and when it's really going to change the, you know, make a fundamental change. And reality is that it's, you know, until that driver's not in the seat, or at least he's not driving the truck anymore, that's probably, there's probably not going to change the industry very much. Once that happens, it's going to fundamentally change the industry. Un- unbelievably well, change. Well, let me ask, a, let me ask you uh, to make a stand. When do you think that 50% of all trucking miles over the road, uh, long haul trucking miles, will go by autonomous truck versus with a driver for, the, for that line haul piece, not the final delivery the dray when do you what do you think how many years 50 percent. 50 years 50 years okay yeah it's an interesting thing I, i'm thinking it'll be between 10 and 20 i hope you're right where i hope you're right i hope go. i'm pessimistic yeah we'll see we'll see okay well gary let me ask you one more question before we let you go what do you see is there anything on the horizon that you think could fundamentally change the industry besides autonomous or is that the thing i think that is the thing that is gonna that will fundamentally right you know right now in in the united states i think depending on which source you'll use there's somewhere between twenty five thousand and a hundred thousand trucking companies so that average three trucks or four trucks that has been that way for eternity and if autonomous vehicles were to really take hold it then becomes a capital game and not a labor game and then the trucking industry becomes much more like the, uh, like every other industry, right? You know, four or five dominant players plus some some minor players, right? Because it's about who can have efficient capital. Other than that, you know, what could really change it? I don't know. What do you think? What do you see? What am I missing, man? No, I, autonomous could be if it hits, and it's already it's like boiling a frog at this point. Auton- <laughs> it's coming in at various levels throughout. But the other the big change that I've seen, especially for like uh, retailers is that suddenly retailers have to care about last yeah, mile. Yeah. 5 years ago they just didn't care. Right, right. And now mm-hmm. it's 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 such a change. Yeah. Um you know, it used to be if I I'm a retailer I'm worried about my delivery to the store maybe and long haul, but now there's there's been a big push and a lot of interesting experimentation. Yes, that is a big deal. It, yeah, they're not they're not so willing to just give it to FedEx anymore. Right, or your UPS is a lot of interesting things going yeah. on. That's a, a topic for another day for another podcast. Excellent. Good, good. I I think that would be awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, Gary. I appreciate it. Any last comments or words? No, I, I enjoyed being on, Chris, and I always enjoy talking to you. So hopefully we'll uh, do it again sometime soon.
All right. Thank you, Gary. And now it's time for a look ahead with our market forecast. Here's the market forecast as of 1 August 2019. Now, it's certainly been a roller coaster ride over the last 24 months. We moved from being in the tightest market in our generation to what is now being called the Great Trucking Recession in just a few months. So with so much churn and variability, we can see why everyone is very interested in gaining an early look into how truckload rates are trending. The spring and summer 2019 saw the spot premium ratio settle down to essentially parity or slightly negative from a peak of over 40% in 2018. Also, the percent difference in new contract rates entering compared to contract rates being replaced has also gone negative and is averaging about 4%. That is, new contract rates over the summer averaged about 4% lower than those contract rates where they were apparently being retired. Now, as we look forward into the fall, we're estimating that these trends will continue as shippers correct for any contracts established during the peak 2017 to 2018 tight capacity market. Our initial estimates are showing that new contract rates entering throughout the fall will continue to fall between 1% to 4% over existing contract rates, but will start rising again as we finish Q4. We'll have a more detailed update on our next podcast as we continue to analyze new information coming in. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Chainalytics Freight Vine podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found something you can apply within your company. If you have any feedback on this episode or suggestions for any new episodes, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at chainalytics.com. Thanks again for listening and keep an eye out for the next podcast.